Sal Berry. If you think you clicked on the wrong thing and you're like, oh no, I wanted to hear about hockey and hockey cards, that's okay. And Tim Parrish. I'm just a guy that sits here and talks about stuff I know nothing about. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the 2022-23 Skybox Metal Universe Hockey Card Set. I had to double check and make sure that I got the year right because I can't even keep these years or sets straight anymore because we got 21-22 product coming out before the 23-24 season. We got 22-23 product coming out during the 23-24 season, and maybe, just hopefully, we'll get some 23-24 product coming out in the 23-24 season. Well, we definitely will, and we're going to talk about one of those later on in the show. But, yep, we're going to talk about Metal Universe today, as well as some of the happenings around the world of the NHL and the world of hockey collecting. Tim, what's going on? Just uh, hanging out here on this lovely morning, talking hockey cards. Yeah, I know. Sunday morning before football is now when we're recording. So, um, you know, watching the Chicago Bears, I'm reminded why I'm not a Chicago Bears fan, because every season I give them a chance to say, I'm going to watch football this year. This is going to be the year I'm going to become a football fan and I'm going to watch football on Sundays and start making that my thing. Because, I mean, I like football when I was a kid. And then, like, the Bears just, like, totally suck. And I'm just like, oh, OK, can't wait for hockey season because even if the Blackhawks suck, it's still hockey, and I'd rather watch a sucky hockey team than a sucky football team, but that's just me. I don't think you should hit the panic button yet for the Bears. They could pull it together. No, I but, agree. But whether they will or not, I don't know. I think it's still a little bit too early for an overreaction. Yeah. Also, I think hockey fans are a little more patient because we have 82 games a season to let things unfold. and. Football's what, 17 regular season games? Yeah. So you got to figure it out in a hurry. And I think that's the thing is that, like, if you're 0 and 8, well, you're pretty much toast by then, right? But I mean, how many NHL teams have gone on an eight game losing streak and turned it around? A lot, right? Yeah, because of the amount of games you, you have that. But, and I understand people's overreactions to everything because I can I think I saw a graphic that was like the last 30 some years only 12% of teams have made the playoffs after starting 0 and 2. The odds are against you for sure historically, but mm-hmm. I think they need to commit to the run game but they won't do that but yeah. Whatever. I'm not a Bears fan either. That's just yeah. my observation. And this is not a football podcast, so yes, if you th- correct. If you think you clicked on the wrong thing and you're like, "Oh no, I wanted to hear about hockey and hockey cards, not about football," well, that's okay. We're going to talk some hockey. So head on I- over to our other podcast, the Pigskin. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't think of a name. Never mind. Why couldn't Carry it just on. be the, the 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 Pigskin podcast? Yeah, there probably already is one. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, anyways, so we're going to head on over to Columbus where our uh, once-in-future Jack Adams award winner, no, I'm just kidding, no, uh uh-uh, not even close, Uh, coach of the year, wait, no, okay, I'm being a jerk, Mike Babcock was fired as the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. However, this is before they even started training camp. This is even before their first 
preseason game. So the guy that the Columbus Blue Jackets hired to be their coach is undefeated with a 0-0 and record. It's funny because he's going to go down in the history books as a former coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets without actually having coached any games. And this is effing ridiculous, man. Okay, let's just backpedal. I don't remember exactly when he was hired. I mean, it was over the summer. It was a summertime hiring. Didn't you ask yourself, what the hell is Columbus doing? Like before this whole cell phone thing, we'll talk about that. But before this whole cell phone thing happened, weren't we like wondering why he was coaching again? Well, it goes down to the conversation that we always have about the coach recycle bin. And it's like everybody throws the coaches away because coaches are hired just to get fired. But they go into the recycle bin. They don't go into the waste container. You know, they're not gone. They're in this box. And somebody at some point is going to come pick them back up out of the box. And they do it every single time, which is why we don't see new blood very often. Occasionally, maybe once a season, once every couple seasons, we'll get a couple guys that get bumped up from the AHL or get moved up from an assistant position or get brought over from another organization or something like that. But it doesn't happen very often because they get stuck in their ways. It's the old tried and true method. Hey, this guy was successful. Let's bring him in. We'll be successful too. It doesn't always work out that way, especially today's day and age where everybody's quick to cancel everybody because they're hurt feelings and everything else. And I'm not saying what he did was, was right by any means, because I've never been a Babcock fan and I think his methods are kind of old and outdated, but have we been able to show that old and outdated coaches can still be successful? Yeah, we can. Look in Philadelphia. We have an example of a coach that, again, came back in after being told time and time and time again that uh, they're a horrible coach. They're too stringent. They're too old school. They're too this. They're too that. But yet somehow he's been he's been able to take that team, and we haven't heard any issues about it. You know. So, but Babcock somehow just keeps. I don't know. He just, he just doesn't seem to want to change. It's so, just crazy. So just to get you all up to speed, I'm sure you've heard about this because it was all over the news. I mean, it was first mentioned on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. Okay, so I remember listening to the, the episode where they talked about that, where Bissonette was like, he's going through the cell phones of young rookie players or young players on the Blue Jackets and asking to see their pictures and read their text messages and stuff like that. Now that came from messages that he got directly from players. Yes. That's what you have to keep in mind. He wasn't just spouting off. I hate Babcock. So I'm going to make this shit up. He didn't do that. It was straight. I mean, he got messages from these players saying, Hey, this is going on. And when you send that to somebody that hosts a podcast that notoriously is a player's podcast. Like they will support the players a hundred percent all day long and twice on Sundays. If you send something like that, they're going to bury you with it. I mean, they're going to. And so they threw it out there. So they threw it out there. Of course, biz, you know, makes it all vulgar. Like I'd make sure there was a, a, a picture of my hog, you know, 
Bisbee and Biz, basically. So sometimes it's hard for me to take him too seriously because it's like, you know, he basically takes it to the nth degree, right? And I get it. He's trying to be funny. He's trying to be entertaining, but that's who he is. You know what I mean? So he's going to clown around about it. So then you hear Columbus's spin on this and they're like, oh no, what we were doing was exchanging family photos where I would show them photos of my family and they'd show me photos of their family. And I'm just like, okay, that seems plausible, right? But really that's their spin because he went to the GM and he went to the team captain and that's what he did with them, right? So then when they hear about it with the other players, they go, oh yeah, 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 we were showing family pictures too, right? When in fact he was just like, hey, give me your phone and going through it. Or um, what was the other thing where he'd like airplay it, like basically wirelessly connected to the TV and they would just go through it together, yeah, and, they were going to be on his, they were allegedly displayed on his TV in his office. So, of course, that's a privacy issue and kind of violates professional boundaries, I would think, between a coach and a player. Absolutely. But it also came out after the, whatever the investigation was, a couple of these incidents happened at his house. At his house. He yes. invited players over for lunch. Saw pictures of them and then like gave them their phone back and said, okay, have a nice day. Didn't even give them lunch. Right. Right. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Now, the thing was, is that he did that with the Maple Leafs players when he was coaching in Toronto. And we found out about that now because the reason why, remember one of the reasons or the reason why they fired him, there was all that fallout from when he, what was it? He asked Mitch Marner to like, criticize all uh, yeah i'm talking about babcock but he told mitch marner when he was a rookie remember he wanted him to like criticize each player or write down like he wanted him to rank his teammates or something and then rank rank your rank your fellow teammates from like best to worst right and then he's going to share it with the rest of the team (laughs) right okay and that's so stupid i mean that's the reason and i use quotes that he was fired but there was this other stuff too that we didn't know about now we know about so i guess the thing was is that babcock was an even shittier person in toronto than we originally thought he still made his eight million a year for eight years or whatever i don't remember the exact dollar amount but i do remember in that episode of the podcast that we talked about this many years ago you said babcock could build a house out of money and still have money left over. (laughs) Like, just use stacks of money to build his house. It's because you get get put in these positions where you can sign these contracts where they're going to guarantee your money and you don't perform and they toss you. Well, they still got to pay you. Yes. They got to pay you to be here and they got to pay you to go away. But here's the other thing, too. And I kind of have this... I'm not a big college sports fan, and whenever you hear about a college, I'll pick on football, because it usually seems to be college football coaches, where you find out later on, like, how they were really just, like, these terrible people. It's like, well, yeah, when you get to coach for 40 years at the same place and you never get fired, nobody questions you and everybody's in awe of you you get away with stuff. You start to get away with more and more stuff, right? Like if all NHL coaches 
were signed to one-year contracts for $1 million, they'd be looking over their shoulder all the time. They'd probably be second-guessing themselves maybe a little too much because they'd be worried about their next contract instead of performing in their current contract. But you take away that fear when you give somebody job security and you give them a lot of wealth. So it's like, well, hey, you know what? If I royally screw up, I'm still going to get paid no matter what. And so that's a problem. And I think that firing Babcock, I don't want to say it doesn't go far enough, but I mean, what the hell, man? I mean, that's really freaking messed up. Yeah. And see, here's the thing. Like if you were a, an older player, and I guess I'd be generalizing this, but in my mind, I'm thinking like an older player, you know, maybe has a family, maybe has, you know, kids, whatever, is more of a family type person. Uh, I got to be careful with what I say here. No, I get, but, I get what you're saying. But yeah, you would more think, relatable. You know, hey, you want to, hey, you want to show me pictures of your family? I'm just trying to, you know, get used to you. Yeah, sure. Here's my kid. Blah. Here's, here's my mom. Here's my wife. You know, here's, we did this over the summer and just go through and, and do that kind of stuff. But like a younger 18 to 20 something single guy. Yes. You're not getting my phone. No. And the other I'm thing not ta- this- I'm not saying that it's filled with stuff, but it's filled with stuff and you're not getting my phone. Well, here's the thing though. Like if one of your coworkers that you were fond of had kids and asked to see pictures of your kids and wanted to show you pictures of his kids, you'd probably be like, yeah, cool. Right. Cause that's what parents do. Right. That's yeah. a thing, right? I mean, I don't have kids. So clue me in here. If they don't have pictures on their desk, then yes. Right. I mean, that, oh. that's what I'm saying though. But I think back now, thankfully when I was 19, 20, 21, this was, before digital all my analog photos there's stuff i don't want people to see i mean just like stupid pictures of us getting drunk and stuff like that that happened that happened before digital cameras right and i'm so glad social media didn't exist oh my god dude i know like here's an example i'm a teacher right i have brought that up before if i just went up to one of my students and said hey give me your phone i want to look at your pictures so i get to know you better that's not cool. I wouldn't feel great about that. I don't think my students would feel great about that. They might say, oh, well, I don't want this teacher to fail me. So sure, I you know, I want my teacher to like me or whatever. So yeah, here, take a look at my phone. Or they might be like, no, that's screwed up. I'm going to go report you or whatever. And I'm sure there's a way less way to word that. So it's less intrusive and, and seemingly like you're trying to corner them. But it's going to come off that way to a lot of people. And when you're cornered like that, I mean, look, what player, especially a player trying to make a roster spot, for instance, because this is all happening pre-training camp. Yes. Right. So we have we have these these team rosters that are stacked with players right now because they haven't pared them down for the season. So there's guys trying to make a career and trying to become NHL players. You're putting a corner. Are, are you going to, like, lash out at your coach? No. That could basically destroy you in an instant? No, you're not going to do that. And like I said, even for some of these older players, they may not care as much. You know, do I think the generic canned 
media friendly legal response that came out from um, Boone Jenner and and Johnny Gaudreau were their opinions straight up? No. Do I think those players that are seasoned veterans would have had as big of an issue? Probably not. So they're not the guys that are the target of this, I don't think. See, that's one thing Biz said in interviews afterward. He's like, look, I don't regret a single thing about this whole thing, except for the fact that I accidentally said Boone Jenner's name. That was it. That was the only thing he regretted, because that's kind of like a trust violation. But just the pressure and everything of of how big this got. This wasn't just like, hey, you know, it started off as a, hey, somebody just texted me, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, oh, Babcock, he's a POS, blah, whatever. And, you know, the continuation of the story that everybody's talked about for years. But then it blew up so big that it just became like this giant pressure cooker. It became bigger than it was. And then the investigation went out and it's like, uh, yeah, so we're going to have to ask you to pack up your stuff and hit the road there, buddy. And that's. What happened? He stepped down. He resigned. I think it was, we're going to fire you, so you better resign. I think that's what it was basically boiled down to. And here's the other thing, too. Columbus made the conscious effort to hire him, right? So back to what we started this conversation on. We keep recycling these coaches over and over and over again. And it's like, when we have other people in our organization that are more than qualified to take over this job and to become the head coach when we have a head coaching vacancy. Why? Why do teams do this? And they made the conscious effort to do this. So do you put some of the issue on Yarmo and and the, the rest of the organization? Is it is it their fault that they did this? Because here's the thing. Everybody thought Pascal Vincent was getting this job. When the Columbus vacancy opened up, pretty much most people in the hockey world, way smarter than me, said that Pascal Vincent is probably the guy. And then he's not. Then all of a sudden, hey, look, Babcock's available. And so now you got to throw him out. And who do you make as your person? Pascal Vincent. How do you think that makes that guy feel? If you paid attention to any of the hockey media and stuff, and and obviously internally you know more about what's going on, but if you see what's going on in the external world, they're all talking about you. They're all saying you're going to be the guy, blah, blah. That's got to prop you up a little bit. Then to turn around and find out, nope, they overshot you for this dude that's been essentially run out of the league multiple times. And now he's going to come in and he's going to be your boss. Oh, wait. Yeah, he's still a jerk. We're firing him. Okay, you can be the boss now. I don't know. That would make me feel like, wow, really? Like, you don't care about me that much? That I'm just your default guy because I'm there? I don't know. That's the way I look at it. I'm like, I'd be mad. I'd have a chip on my shoulder if I was him, Pascal Vincent. Yes, and almost every coach... No, I can't qualify that because I don't actually have the statistics on all 32 coaches. But I'm just going to say there's a lot of current and former NHL head coaches 
who came in under similar circumstances. Maybe it wasn't that they hired a coach and then fired a coach before his first game and said, okay, guess what? Now you're our guy. But pretty much, like you said, coaches get hired to get fired. And then somebody gets pressed into into service to become the coach. You know, it's not always a clean entry. It's like, well, you're going to take over as head coach. Like the assistant gets promoted to head coach or the AHL coach gets promoted to become head coach. And then they just stick around, right? So usually when you are made coach, it's because somebody else was fired and you're filling in for them. And a lot of times it's midseason. It just happens, I guess. Is what and I'm like saying. you said, it, it happens a lot in midseason. This is like a totally different thing. This is like, okay, you know, we thought Brad Larson was the guy. Like Brad Larson was the guy until Brad Larson wasn't the guy. So you have the organization that has to say, look, we got this guy waiting in the wings. It's a really good candidate for this. But somehow Yarmo and John Davidson get together and they're like, you know what would be really good? Let's see if we can hire Mike Babcock instead. I don't know what goes through that decision-making process. I'm not a GM and I'm not a president of a cocky team. And I'm none of that. I'm just a guy that sits here and talks on a microphone about stuff I know nothing about. But this is the optics of this. So it's like you had to nail this hire and you didn't. You blew it. You thought this guy was changed. He wasn't. You blew it. You know, all this bad publicity now over what are you going to do next? And then you bring in the guy that, oh, you should have probably brought in in the first place. And then all of a sudden you're just supposed to get back to normal. Yeah. Okay. Could you imagine what a shitstorm this would have been if the Blue Jackets got the first overall pick, drafted oh, Connor Lord. Bedard, and then got Mike Babcock as coach, and then all of this went down? And that's the other thing, too. It's not like, like I was saying, there are young players on this team. You know, they may not have the number one pick in the whole thing, but they have Adam Fantilli. So he's the other guy. You think of the drafts where there's the big guy and then there's somebody in the shadow that's just there and Fantilli's that guy. But yeah, you're right. With all the publicity and everything on Bedard, yeah, if he was in Columbus, even if they hired a new person, even if they went off to start the season like 10-0, and 0, people would still be talking about it. All right, let's uh, change the subject to Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. being. Did he named- get fired too? No, he got promoted to team captain because, as we know, Patrice Bergeron retired. So Brad Marchand is now the team captain, which I think is a good pick. I mean, there's a couple guys that could be captain. I think the thing is, is that because Marchand has proven himself in the past to be kind of a tool at times, is he captain material? Does this tone him down a bit? Is he captain material? Yes. Does it tone him down? No. I don't no. think so because but I think part one of the one of the qualities of being a captain is somebody that's willing to go out there and lead, and I think that's part of his peskiness is his willingness to just not give a crap about anything other than winning. That kind of goes into that. Mm-hmm. But isn't that, he also remember like when he was dismissive of a uh, it was an interview, it was like a ringside interview, and he was just giving like these. Kurt one word answers because he was so pissed off at that 
journalist and like another time like didn't he like step on a player's stick to break it or something like during a face-off or something i'm, I'm trying to remember i mean he I mean, does he's these bit ha- people he's licked people he's, he's called the water rat. bottles in people's face and he's, he's done the, i guess that's the thing is like you think of a team captain you think of like you know a, a keith kachuk or jonathan tabes or mario lemieux and not a claude lemieux <laughs> if that makes sense a, a mario lemieux and not a claude lemieux you know, we just got done talking about people that do they change and stuff like that. You know, he's made a concerted effort to kind of move on from the licking people phase of his career, I guess. And I guess we could put it in quotes and say that he's matured a little bit. I look at the overall roster here, right? You look at this team and you look at who's on the roster and you're like, who else, who else is worthy of that C that you could give it to? Some people say Pasternak, right? Mm-hmm. The C doesn't necessarily go to the best player on your team. It doesn't necessarily go to the most offensive player on your team or the most clutch player on your team. That's not what the C is about. The C is about being a captain, and you have to be a leader, and you have to be a role model to the rest of your team, and you have to show and kind of put forth what all of the qualities of being a member of that franchise is. So, you know, him being the 27th captain in a long line of Bruins captains, I don't see anybody else on that team as somebody that you could really give that to. I mean, unless we're going to say maybe Charlie McAvoy. I was thinking I McAvoy. I mean, yeah, McAvoy, McAvoy is under contract until 2030. Marchand's only under contract for another two years, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything because yeah, he's also 35, and that's why. Right. So they're probably figuring it's his time to be captain, right? I mean, it went from Chara to Bergeron, and it'd be kind of, I don't want to say unfair. I mean, Marchand's been with the team his whole career. True. There is something to be said for that. If you're a corporate lifer, I mean, you should get some recognition, right? Yeah. Not to change the subject back to the Blackhawks, because I do that all the time, but I look at, like, famous Blackhawks. I mean, can you believe Bobby Hall was never team captain? (laughs) Knowing what we know about Bobby Hall, yes, I can believe that. Yeah, now I can believe that. No, I can't believe it, but yes, yes, I can't believe it. But, I mean, I look at, like, all those, like, alumni photos where you see Chris Chelios with the C on his jersey and Dennis Savard with the C on his jersey and Stan Mikita with the C on his jersey and then, like, Bobby Hall with, like, an A on his jersey. You're like, what? He was never team captain? But... You're right. It's not always about being the most talented player on the team. Sometimes there's other things that go into that. Uh, I mean, I think McAvoy would be a good captain. I think Pasternak would be a good captain. But I think the caveat is that it seems that like it's a lot harder to be team captain if you're not a North American player. I mean, remember how much, I won't say controversy, but how many eyebrows were raised when Nick Lidstrom became the Red Wings captain after Iserman retired. And it was like, oh, you can't have a European as a captain. Well, why not? But he was a yeah. great, there's, there's player, so great many, captain. Right. And there's so many different, like, I don't know if you would call them tropes to all of that, but that's kind of what they are. It's like, you know, just like you can't have a coach in Montreal that doesn't speak French. Is that a rule? No, it's not a rule. But it's just what's become a rule, an mm-hmm. unwritten rule. Mm-hmm. When this announcement came down, I mean, 
you even got endorsements from Harry Sinden of having Marshawn be the next captain. I think that guy knows a couple of things about hockey. Yeah. So we'll see how it works out. I don't think we're going to see any type of like, holy cow, that made the team different and this and that and the other. I don't think you're going to see team identity change. I don't think you're going to see any of that. I think this is just a continuation of business as usual. Right. They're not going to become the Thunder Bay Bombers from Youngblood where everybody is a jerk. Yeah. Although if you don't like the Bruins, you probably already think they are. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I don't think it was accidental that in the movie Youngblood, the Bombers were wearing Bruins colors. You know, they looked like the big bad Bruins, you know, with the black uniforms and, and such. Complete coincidence. Complete coincidence. All right. So I want to also talk about the Chicago Blackhawks not naming a team captain for the season. And I'm just like, ah, the Blackhawks are one of those teams where they have three alternate captains and they're going to pull some, well, everybody in the locker room is a leader, right? Like we're all leaders here and everybody's a leader and we have so many guys that could be captains and we just can't pick one. And I just hate that. I feel like when you have like three alternate captains, it's always on a team that's a mess. And I feel like nobody like is like wholly accountable. I remember like when like, you know, the Blackhawks wouldn't have a good game and Jonathan Taves would talk to the media. And I mean, he'd take responsibility and say, look, it's, it starts with me. I'm, I'm the team leader. I'm the captain. I mean, he never said it like that. Like I'm the captain. Look at me. That's the opposite of what he would say. But I feel that like when nobody's in charge, uh, it's just not a good thing. I always, I always kind of looked at Minnesota when they were doing those rotating captains and it's like, you know, good luck not making the playoffs again for however many years in a row. Right. So I know a couple weeks ago, Seth Jones was lobbying to be captain, which I totally agreed with. I knew it was going to backfire because it never works out. Like if somebody says, Oh, I'd love it. If they made me team captain, I'd be honored. And that's probably the quickest way to guarantee that it won't happen. But I think it should be Seth Jones, and I'm kind of annoyed that they're going with three A's this year. That's Bush League. I didn't hear the press conference. I just read about it afterward. What did Kyle Davidson say? Something like it was out of respect for Jonathan Taze or something like that because, you know, the body's not even cold yet. So Okay, okay, hold on. We're not talking about not dating for a year after you know, your wife passing away, right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a hockey team. We're talking about a business and out of it's respect. Kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, I, I could see them giving it to Seth Jones, but then again, I could also see them not giving it to Seth Jones. I mean, really, again, you look at it, you look at the, te- the players that are tenured on that team. At this point, Seth Jones, I don't know. Connor Murphy, maybe. I don't know where else you go from there. Most of the other quote-unquote name players or star-type players, caliber that you would say, yeah, I could see that person with a with a letter. Taylor Hall, he just got there. Nick Foligno, I mean, just got there. And Corey Perry, too. The thing is, is like, They're yeah. You're going to give them the C. They just got there. Yeah, I mean, that only happens if you're John Tavares. Well, I mean... Somebody's got to be in charge of a sinking ship. Yeah, but we thought it was going to be Austin Matthews. And then they're like, oh, guess what? We signed John Tavares and he's our team captain. Yeah, I agree. I could see Seth Jones with it, but I I don't know. Here's my take on this. Jones signed an eight-year contract. 
He's on the second year of this eight-year contract extension. He's making $9.5 million a year, and he's got a no-movement clause, right? He wants to be on the team. The team wants him to be on the team. He's going to be part of this team for a long time unless he requests a trade. And, okay, look back at the Blackhawks dynasty years, and we go, okay, Kane and Taves, Kane and Taves, right? But it really started when they drafted Brent Seabrook and then Duncan Keith. I think Seabrook was drafted a year prior, right? And then Corey Crawford. So, like, all these other players kind of came into the picture before, but then the focus really sharpened when, you know, the Blackhawks got Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, right? Kane was our best player, but I don't think he even had a letter on his sweater when they won the Cups all those years because there were other players. So just like you said, being the best player doesn't necessarily make you team captain. It feels like they're holding this captaincy for Connor Bedard. But that's a lot of pressure. Like, hey, we're not going to have a team captain this year so that we can make you team captain next year if you prove yourself, right? No pressure, kid. I mean, it's probably less pressure, though, to not have the letter because you don't have to then go in there and try to be, I'm the new guy, I'm the young guy, I have to establish myself as a player. Oh, by the way, now I also have to be the leader in the locker room? No, 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 no. I'm not saying you make a rookie a team captain. That's a terrible idea, and that only happens in movies anyways, right? I was going to say, they didn't even give Crosby the C his first year. No, they gave him an A, which I thought was kind of silly, but whatever. Even he got the C quickly thereafter, but well, no, I think I get... we've we've learned long ago that he's not one to be trifled with because that's well deserved. And and just like it was for Taze. And, and like you said about having those players that you had during that time frame, I mean, you have this nice leadership group. And you have a leadership group that you can build around. And those guys, you know, are not going to drop the ball because they care about their careers. They care about each other. They care about the franchise. They care about that team. And so you have that group, whether it's Taze and eventually Kane and Duncan Keith and Seabrook. And, you know, you have those guys that are that core unit, right? I don't know that this current roster has that. No. No, you're absolutely right. They don't. They're they're building. They're building that. I mean, they yeah. got a lot of promising young players, not just Bedard, but I mean, they got Kevin Korczynski. They got Lucas Reichel. So they're building. They're building in you're, the draft. You're way more of a fan of the team than I am, obviously. So I get the frustration with it. I don't necessarily disagree with not having one. I don't like it. I think all teams should have a captain and alternate captains. Having a bunch of A's with no C is kind of weird to me, but I get it. I totally get it from that standpoint. Like, who was your leadership group? Well, it dwindled down to basically one guy, and he's not here anymore. So are you just going to give it to the guy that signed the longest-term contract that may not be your best player on your team? Oh, by the way, may not even be your best defenseman? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what kind of leader Seth Jones is, but could I see them giving it to him? Sure. But I get it. I mean, I, I understand why they did it. I don't have to like it, though. Yeah. So I've said my piece on that. I want to talk about toys. Toys? Because, yeah, we got hockey toys that made a comeback. Or they went away and came back. So you probably remember, if you're a hockey fan of a certain age, you probably remember when the McFarland Sports Picks hockey figures 
were on shelves at Toys R Us stores back when there were Toys R Us stores or KB Toy Stores back when there were KB Toy Stores. Damn, there's no more toy stores, right? Walmart, Target, whatever. So McFarland Toys gained back the license to make hockey figures licensed by the NHL and the NHLPA. And this is kind of a big deal because it's hockey-related. A lot of people like the sports picks figures that they made from, like, 2000 to 2014. You know, they were in the market for, like, 15 years. Then the license went to a company called Imports Dragon. And a lot of people who collected hockey figures didn't like the Imports Dragons figures because they said the likenesses weren't as good, the detailing wasn't as good, the proportions weren't as good. They look more like glorified starting lineup figures, whereas like the McFarland Toys figures had like wrinkles on the jerseys and you could see scuff marks on their skates from where they might have blocked a shot and all those little details that really made fans like their toys. So anyway, so back on uh, September 21st, McFarland Toys put up eight figures for pre-sale on their website. Maddie Beneers. Cole Caulfield, Sidney Crosby, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, Alex Ovechkin, David Pasternak, and Tage Thompson. So all of those figures are available, and then there are chase versions of the figures available in alternate jerseys. And the figures are selling for 30 bucks each. I think if you buy the figure, you just get the figure as pictured. You don't get like one of the chase versions, but if you buy a sealed case of six figures, which are all the same figure, so if you buy a sealed case of Connor McDavid figures, so Connor McDavid, for example, comes in a white jersey, but if you buy a case of six, you'll get five McDavid's in a white jersey, and then you'll get one Chase version McDavid that comes in a blue jersey. Or another example, because I know this kind of irked some fans, the Tage Thompson Buffalo Sabres figure comes in a black goat head jersey you know the white buffalo yeah so it comes in that and then the chase version is in the blue sabers jersey that we all kind of see as like the iconic sabers jersey so if you want that version of the figure you either got to pick it up on the secondary market try to find it at a toy store that's selling them um i can't think of any in the u.s that are selling them because all the retailers i was told about are Canadian places like Walmart.ca and Toys R Us Canada. But if you want that blue Tage Thompson figure, you'd have to buy a sealed case for $180. And then you'd end up with five of them in the Goathead jersey and then one in the blue jersey. So that's been kind of one criticism. Oh, and one other thing I'll say is that there are actually two Chase versions of the Austin Matthews figure. There's also one in a black Maple Leafs jersey, which... You get that one if you buy three of them on the site together. You could buy the blue one, the white one, and then the black one all in like one lot, which is great if you're a Maple Leafs fan or a Austin Matthews fan. But anyway, so yeah, so those are out. I don't know if you've taken a look at them, the pictures at all. Yeah, the attention to detail on some of those is pretty spot on. Especially it is. The, the, fa- the faces of some of those players. I think they're better than Imports Dragon, but then again, I didn't really have anything against Imports Dragon. It just said it was kind of like when McFarlane lost the NHL license and it went to, I don't know if they actually lost the license or if they just decided not to renew it, 
But uh, I don't really know what the deal was. Actually, I posted an interview with Todd McFarland that I was able to do where I asked him, why did sports pick figures go away? And he just basically said it was, among other things, it was cost. You could read that. I'll put a link to that. But it seemed like at that time in like the mid-2010s that McFarland was like picking up like the rights to like DC toys and stuff like that. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Make hockey figures or make Superman figures, right? No, no competition, right? Like, oh, we need somebody to make action figures of the next Batman movie. Oh, but we're making NHL series 34, right? You know what I mean? Like, which fish are you going to fry? Which which uh, rabbit are you going to chase? Which metaphor are you going to use? Exactly. That's exactly right. Chase so, the money. Chase the money, right. But there have been some criticisms of these figures already. They're kind of like starting lineup in the fact that they're only using two poses. They basically have like a left-handed player shooting the puck and a right-handed player shooting the puck. And they almost look like mirror images of each other. Where like, remember, like, uh, actually, I see it on the wall behind you, Tim. If you look up to your 1993 Mario Lemieux starting lineup figure in that like mm -hmm. shooting the puck pose. Yes. So that's basically the pose that they used for all the figures. They're either shooting the puck one way or the other way. But like that, there's no variation, at least not yet. There's no goalies. Because I asked, I asked them, like, are there going to be goalies? And there's like, there's no goalies in Series 1. I don't know if there's going to be goalies in Series 2. But you remember the McFarland toys? When we collected starting lineup figures back in the 90s, we were like, oh, the goalies have removable helmets and that's the coolest thing, right? But then when McFarland Toys came out with hockey figures in like 2000, the goalie masks were not removable, but they came with these freaking nets, which actually were like nets. Like there was actual like mesh netting, like it was like a mini hockey net, perfectly scaled. It even had like the padding around like the... uh bar at the bottoms you know what i'm talking about like yeah. and it come with like a water bottle and i know that like there's like a version of a figure i forget which figure it is but it's like the one with the gatorade logo on the water bottle sells for more than the one without the gatorade logo because i guess they couldn't use the gatorade logo so then they had to like make this running change but like the insane level of detail on like just the nets man just the, the hockey nets were just gorgeous unto themselves and that was just an accessory for a goalie figure so hopefully they come out with some goalies hopefully what they do is they start introducing new poses so then maybe series two we get a little more variety kind of like what starting lineup did where every year they'd introduce new poses into the mix they'd introduce new poses into the mix and then they'd uh you know have a little more variety i just like the fact that they're not just going after the low-hanging fruit and going like, okay, our first 10 figures are Crosby and Ovechkin and McDavid well, and stuff like that. They, they actually did. have so. they, they have those guys, but they also have like Veneers. a lot of the younger players. So and they went with Veneers as well. So there's a Seattle Kraken influence there to try to get some of the newer fan base involved. So well it makes sense. He was rookie of the year and then you get Cole Caulfield. Yeah, so I think having some of these younger guys included in the mix and not waiting till later. And I Tage think. Thompson, I mean, think about how popular he's become the past couple of years. Yeah. So, so I like that they've mixed up the checklist. Right. Yeah, I agree. That's exciting. So last week, the National Sports Collectors Convention announced that it has 
determined its location for 2026. And that location, drum roll, but is going to be Chicago, Illinois. Yay. So we are saying, no, wait, Sal. It's going to be in Chicago in 2025. And I go, yes, it is. And it's going to be in Chicago in 2026. So me living in Chicago and Tim living close to Chicago, we're pretty happy about this idea. Because I got to tell you, man, 14-hour road trip to Atlantic City, New Jersey, was a long trip. And it's hard. I mean, I get it. Everybody has to deal with this. Anybody who has to drive a long distance to sell at a card show gets it. But I'm just feeling a little smug that it's going to be in my hometown for like two of the next three years and three out of the next four years. It's definitely nicer to have a home game than it is an away game. You know, people are going to complain. They already have started. I get it. I understand. Where's the diversity? Where's the variety? Where? Well, how do we move it here, here, and here? I have a better idea. Let's go here. Look, we don't get to decide as collectors. It's not our choice. We could scream and yell into the clouds as much as we want. What we want as a collective group isn't going to go. What's going to go is what the dealers want because this is a dealer show. Let's just get that out of the way now. It's for the dealers. So those dealers, they get a vote. And they need to cast a vote. And so if you don't want it to be in a certain place, you need to tell your local dealer or your favorite dealer that sets up at the national and gets a vote to go vote every time they bring these up. It's nice that this new ownership group is being transparent about it. They posted online the vote counts and how many votes were cast for each place that was on the ballot. So that's kind of cool. They put it on their Facebook page. So you could actually see what the percentages of votes were. And look, I don't know how many actual votes are available, but it seemed to me like a lot of people didn't cast a vote. It was almost like as a midterm election. So if that's the case, well, then the majority rules. And the majority said Chicago. So here we are. Neener, neener, neener is what I say. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about that. I mean, next year it's going to be in Cleveland, I believe, and that's fine and good. I'm just glad it's not like going to go to Atlanta. I know that was one of the choices. It didn't get a lot of votes. Yeah, you're right. It is a dealer's show because you know what? Put it to you this way. If you were going to take a flight to Chicago, you'd probably take a flight to Atlantic City. Or if you're going to take a flight to Atlantic City, you'd probably take a flight to Chicago. I guess what I'm saying is like, People who are going to travel for card shows are going to travel to buy stuff. It's easier to travel and buy stuff than to travel and sell stuff. Because when you travel and sell stuff, you can't really fly. You have to take the drive. There's just no way around that. Whereas, like, people ask me, like, they say, are you going to ever sell at the Toronto Expo? And I tell them no. I said, because I'd basically have to truck my stuff up from Chicago to Toronto and I'd rather just go to Toronto to walk around and buy stuff and have fun. For that, I have no problem doing, right? If you're going to walk around and have fun. I used to do Transformer conventions all the time where I would like, like one year they had it in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I remember flying in with my friend and we like walked around and bought stuff. And then, you know, you buy as much as you can carry back with you. 
and then you fly it back or you know maybe you take the road trip it's totally different if you're road tripping to buy something versus road tripping to sell a bunch of stuff so you're absolutely right in saying it is it is a dealer's i don't want to say a dealer's show kind of is though it is i mean it absolutely is it's a dealer's show because that's what it's set up for and that's what these guys the promoters of the show they reach out to the dealers and they say what do you want what do you want to do how much do you want to pay for these things what are we gonna you know so that's really what it kind of boils down to so they're the decision makers if you don't like it somehow you got to bridge the gap between us peons that like to scream into the wind and the dealers that actually get the vote so think about that next time when they come down to a vote again you need to uh voice your opinion to those people so what's going on with panini i've been a little bit out of the loop of that you were doing a really good job of keeping us in the loop on that in, in the past. So Panini, uh, Panini is just a giant sinking ship. I, I don't know. The latest, Darren Ravel tweeted out earlier last week that two weeks ago, WWE terminated the Panini contract, claiming breach of contract. Now, WWE had two years left on the Panini contract. And as we all know, and we've talked about the contract with the NFL was already cut off. What was that? Late August, I think, in a similar mm-hmm. fashion. And, of course, Panini filed a lawsuit. So the problem here is WWE said that two weeks ago when they canceled this, Panini did nothing to honor their cancellation. and was still selling product. And is now in violation of their cancellation agreement. And they filed an injunction against them to immediately cease and desist making, selling, producing any of their products. So if Panini is actually selling product and they're producing product and all of that kind of stuff after the termination of the contract, that could be seen as a violation of the contract termination. So given that fact, the injunction was filed against Panini to stop them and recover damages. Well, as we know, NFL did the same thing. Panini fired back with the lawsuit of their own. So I can imagine this is all going to now come up with more lawsuits of back and forth. So, yeah. Now, here's the funny part about this. Well, it's not funny. None of this is funny. It's bad for collectors. It's just, it just is. That's the bottom line for it. So it's not really funny. So it's not funny, ha funny, like ironic or whatever. We have seen numerous accounts of Fanatics events, corporate type events that have gone on over the last few weeks uh, with lots of pictures posted on social media of various people at all of these events and showing Michael Rubin kind of rubbing shoulders with the likes of Oh, I don't know. The commissioner of the NBA. And who still has the NBA license? Well, that would be our nice folks over at Panini. So is it another domino going to fall? Like shortly? Or the NBA is going to be like, hey, Panini, we're gone. We're taking our money elsewhere. Because at this point, I can't imagine. I can't imagine what is going on at a company that 
has their licenses that they thought were secured for the, at least the next two, three, four years, depending on who they were with. And they're now just getting hit from every angle of people breaking their contract deals and then filing injunctions and lawsuits and everything else to where your only option is to file lawsuits back. I mean, we've got Panini with lawsuits against fanatics with lawsuits potentially here against the WWE filing stuff against the NFL. What's next? I mean, they just lost the the judgment against wildcard. Remember that wildcard case that went on? If Mm -hmm. you don't, it was because they stole the stat smashers IP, I guess, and used it in Panini product. But rather than just use the name and have some other design, no, they, they grabbed the entire graphic the stat smasher graphic from the old wild card releases and used it exactly for their own stat smasher cards. And they got sued and they lost. And that lawsuit was huge. Millions and millions of dollars. I can't imagine at this point Panini has even that much money. Cause look, they don't honor redemptions. They're screwing around with like product and stuff like that. Now they have all these lawsuits. They got broken into, if everybody remembers, not that long ago, after the whole Fanatics thing went down. Then it came out later that Fanatics tried to buy them and they falsified their documents showing that they were more financially solvent than they were. So it's like it's like one thing after another. A, as a hockey collector, I'm glad they're not in the hockey market anymore. Because the only thing I can tell people is buyer beware. If you continue buying their products, if you continue sending in redemptions for them, if you continue ordering from their websites and stuff, good luck. You're doing so at your own risk. I don't think this is a company that's going to last much longer, honestly. Like There's only so much you can take. If the guns are all pointed at you and they're all firing at once, I don't know how much of a bulletproof wall you have but it can't be that much and just to clarify one point so panini we're talking about panini america because there's also panini in italy which is the parent company and they're huge and they yeah. make tons they make stickers of stickers and soccer stuff no, 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 and all that sticker, kind of stuff their sticker business is huge in europe in fact maybe it was about a month ago 60 minutes on cbs did this like 10 minute piece about panini soccer stickers and how popular they are all over the world it was a good piece but they didn't talk anything about panini america panini basketball or or football cards or whatever it was just really about panini's sticker business and how it started and how it became like this global phenomenon so they're gonna be fine they have their stronghold it's panini america which was for a long time a really big, powerful. I mean, remember we used to talk about the big three and it was Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck? Yeah, I mean, those were the... The big three. When most of the quote-unquote smaller companies got all absorbed in together, those mm-hmm. were like your three biggest guys out there. By the way, that settlement, that Stat Smasher settlement, I just looked it up. $25 million is what that was. $25 million. And you're not even paying a company that's manufacturing cards anymore, technically. Is Wildcard a company? Yes. But it's not the Wildcard from before. They have to pay bankruptcy creditors. 
because Wildcard, as it stood back then and, and was the owner of that IP, no longer exists. So yeah, it's not the current Wildcard, it's the old Wildcard. That's what they took. So so yeah, so they have all that money tied up in all these lawsuits. They got to pay out for everything. I don't know. I don't know. I have no faith that they're going to exist for that much longer. They can't. So yeah, Panini America. We can clarify that and say it's Panini America. At some point down the line, if the bigger Panini company, and this is a subsidiary of them, they've got to say, it's time to cut and run. We've got to be hemorrhaging. We're losing licenses. And I think they lost the vocal minority, I'll call it, from social media. I think they lost that customer base a long time ago. So it's just a matter of time here. But yeah, it's just something else in the dump on Panini realm. And I'm not doing it intentionally. It's happening. We're watching this collapse in real time. It's crazy. Okay. So let's move on to some hockey card business. So they've already put up 2324 Upper Deck Series 2 hobby boxes for pre-order. Now, when I went to DA oh, Card Lord. World this morning, they said they didn't have any in stock or they're not taking pre-orders anymore. Or it just says, we don't have this item available at this moment. Please enter your information, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think there's a reason for that. And I think that reason would be the initial releases of the pre-order pricing for the Series 2 hobby boxes that came out when the sell sheets hit. because. I'm not going to lie. They're ridiculous. And I think I even tweeted out about it with a conversation about what was going on. And I look at a lot of the major online retailers and pre-sales. And keep in mind, this is slated for February. So this is a February release. We got pre-sales in September. Okay, so plenty of time here. Flagship Upper Deck Series 2, 2400 a case. This was on multiple sites, three of them, in fact, three of the bigger ones. So 2400 a case, 200 plus a box. They ranged from 197 up to like 205 for a single box, pre-sell. Blasters, pre-sells for blasters were 25. Okay, you look at that and you're like, yeah, a lot of blasters have gone up to 25 selling retail. But keep in mind, blasters are four packs. What? This year. Oh, four that's packs. right. Yes, with more 48 cards. Because there's 12 cards per pack. So it's 48 cards. It's a four pack blaster. 25 bucks. The blaster cases, 500. That's 20 boxes. And that, that's what was current. Now, obviously, the actual retail boxes, I haven't seen those posted yet. Sometimes those come out later after the blasters and everything are already out. But those are the prices. A pre-sale price at over $200 for a flagship product. I get it if you're going to put it at about $150. And people were up in arms when the initial price point for Series 1, when Alexei Lafreniere was in there, was at around $150. People couldn't believe that. And then it went up a little bit after the fact is all the feeding frenzy and i get it when it goes up after the fact because you see 
holy crap, people really want this. It's going to boost up. Well, now this has only been out like a week. And some of the retailers have pulled their pricing down, like you just mentioned. The pricing's not there anymore. And it'll say now call for pricing or fill out this form and we'll put you on a list. Because they've already sold out their pre-allocations. This is baffling to me. Like, this is blowing my mind. Blowing my mind. I will tell you right now, I'm not buying this for 200 bucks a box. I'm not buying this for 150 bucks a box. So if this turns into, you know, Connor Bedard becoming the next Sidney Crosby or the next Connor McDavid or whatever, I guess I just won't be getting this product. <laughs> I mean, that's just where it is. Because here's the thing. You and I both know, right? Knowing what we've already been told about how the configuration of this is going to be and how this is going to be set up going forward, we already know that not only are there the regular young guns in there and the high gloss and the exclusives and all that, but there's now one of ones in there. There's multiple tiers of parallels that are available. Every breaker in the U.S. and Canada is going to be busting case upon case upon case of this stuff, searching for that. And I will guarantee you that within the first 24 to 48 hours, all of the biggest hits will probably be posted online. Then what? If all the big chases are gone, where's that price going to go? Into the toilet. Now, maybe it doesn't go down to 100 bucks a box right away, but there's no way that these prices are going to be sustainable. None. I don't care who the player is. I'm sorry. It's just not. There's no way. And is that me being hopeful? Maybe. But I can't see this as sustainable. I can't. Wouldn't it be funny if they put Connor Bedard in extended series? Yeah. Push them, feed them further. Yeah. Well, after all these people are paying 200 bucks a box pre-order for Upper Deck Series 2, only to find out the guy that they're chasing after is not going to be in that set. Oops, that'd, be, that'd just be kind of funny. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever witnessed an actual hobby riot, per se, but that would cause it. I mean, people were already so ticked off that he wasn't going to be in Series 1 not understanding how this whole thing actually works right? and how they get people in there and how you can pick players and how they have to play a game and all of this kind of stuff. Once you understand that, you can kind of see, yeah, I guess series two would be where it is, but how did they get the exemption for, you know, Alexei Lafreniere? Look, we were coming out of a weird period of time with COVID and all that kind of stuff. So I'm chalking that one up as to the Uber anomaly we can't compare that to anything. Else. I mean, that was an exception, basically. That's what it yes. was. And can they file for an exception this time, too? I don't know how that works, but I am I assume they would. But I don't think they'd, like, no. fill out a form and say, yeah. you would like to file an exemption to have that's Connor Bedard in Series 1, right? It doesn't right. work that way. That's what I'm saying. I don't think it's something like that. I don't think it's something that's that easy to go through and do. I think the Lafreniere thing was probably something that was in the works for a while before it actually went down. And this, there was no reason to think that you needed to do anything based off of this. So, you know, anybody thinking that this was going to be in Series 1, I 
think you were fooling yourself all the way up to that point. Here's the other question that this raises. How much of this is going to get printed? This year's product. Are they going to turn on the presses and not stop? Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't they? They absolutely have to. I agree. Yeah, now, is this going to be 90-91 or 91-92 all over again? No, I don't think so. No, I but you don't have the same that. you don't have the same amount of stores carrying it like you did back then. I mean, the the retail landscape has changed dramatically since then. Yeah. And there are people out there that are way smarter than me and better at math and things have been calculated numerous times on print runs. Upper Deck will never tell you how many there are, but you need to look at the fact that young guns, despite being short printed, are not scarce. They're just not. Calculations have been made where the math checks out that there's probably anywhere between, I've seen from 10 to 15,000 of every young gun, anywhere from up to 30 to 35,000 of every young gun. And I would believe that. I mean, perfect example. Look at the Connor McDavid and look what's graded, Connor McDavid wise. The Connor McDavid card by the two major grading companies have been, has been graded over fifteen thousand times. And yes, yeah, some of that could be crossover. People busting them out and sending them back and whatnot. But I can't imagine the majority of that is crossover. Margin of error on that what three, ten, even ten percent. So knock another fifteen hundred off of that. You're still over 13,000 of that card that was graded. I can't speak for everybody, but I'm going to say the vast majority of collectors don't grade cards. So if you don't grade and get in involved in that, well, guess what? How many ungraded versions are there? There's a ton. A ton. I can't imagine this being one of those releases that doesn't have the same result. I mean, that's left to be seen. We'll see what happens. But yeah, these pre-sale prices, I mean, I'll, I'll say it right here. Longtime collector that buys every single base upper deck product that there is and buys usually boxes of flagship, I'm out. You lost me. All right. So moving on to Skybox Metal Universe for 22-23. So I was a fan of the Metal Universe hockey sets in the 90s. You had Metal, you had Metal Universe. Came back in 2021, featuring kind of these weird, metallic-y, outer space-y kind of designs that look like a cross between something industrial and something interstellar. You know, you got, like, Metal, and you got, like, space and night skies and planets and stuff like that in the background. So it definitely has an aesthetic that screams the 90s, and I like it. So here's the deal with, with Metal Universe. It's a 100-card base set and a 100-card short print set. So there's 200 cards total. 1 through 100 is the base set of veterans. 101 to 150 are short printed star cards. 151 to 200 are short printed rookie cards. So 200 card set, 100 base cards, 100 short prints. The hobby box prices right now, they're hanging at about 120 for a 15 pack box. Each pack has seven cards. Now the blaster box, I'll just throw that out there really quick because I'm a big fan of blasters, especially with this product. It's $30 for a five pack 
box and you get seven cards per pack for 35 cards total. So looking at the hobby box, because that's the more desirable box because you get better hits. Allegedly, because I've done my own research, Tim. I've done my own research. So don't believe what everything the sell sheets tell you. You need to go on the internet and do your own research. No, I'm kidding. We're talking about blaster boxes and not something else. It still applies. It still applies. <laughs> so the the hobby box basically highlights that you get three Skybox premium prospect cards per box. Those I could totally do without. Three ninety-eight ninety-nine Metal Universe retro cards per box. Also not a fan of the design, probably because it's not rooted in any hockey design and they're kind of dark, and I'll talk about that. Probably be the first time I won't actively pursue the retro set like I have in years past. One all-starring or jarring or metal ore card per box. One the house or palladium or hardware card per box. Five other insert cards per box. Really the big draw, though, for the hobby boxes are that you can get a PMG gold or a PMG red, and then you can also potentially get an autograph. Now, I did open a hobby box. I did not get an autograph. So there you go, right? I also opened six blaster boxes, and I didn't get autographs in any of those, but that's fine because I don't expect autographs in blaster boxes, though I will say a couple years back, 2021, I bought a lot of blaster boxes of 2021, and I did get an autograph in a blaster box. So it is possible to still get autographs in blaster boxes, especially with slightly higher-end products like Metal Universe. My advice, though, is if you're looking to build a set, if you're just like, I don't really care if I get an autograph or not, they're nice to have if you get one, but I'm not necessarily chasing them or I'll just buy the one I want online, right? You're going to save money if you go the blaster box route. I did a little bit of math. And so a hobby box, you're paying about $1.15 per card. Blaster box, you're paying 86 cents per card. That's not accounting for sales tax or shipping because that varies depending on where you're getting it from, who you're getting it from, whatever. Like when I buy my target blasters, they're 5% off because I use my Target credit card. So they're actually cheaper than $0.85 cents a card. The thing, though, is that you get two short print cards per pack, regardless of whether it's a hobby box, hobby pack, or retail pack from a blaster box, right? You get four base cards per pack. You get two short prints per pack, one being a star card, one being a rookie card. And then the seventh card is always an insert card. Some of my blaster boxes had two insert cards and one less base card per pack. So what I'm saying here is I'm really struggling with why I would want to buy a hobby box if A, I'm not guaranteed an autograph, and B, I'm not guaranteed anything else that I can't get already in a blaster box. Because you know what? I bought six blaster boxes that was 180, and I pretty much got all the same inserts that I got in my hobby box. I even got a PMG purple in a blaster box, and I got a PMG purple in my hobby box. Probably the only card that I got in my hobby box, and I I imagine these are in blaster boxes, but maybe the odds are longer, is the 2013 retro inserts, which look like they look like comic book illustrations. 
And I got one in my hobby box, and I actually got a pretty good one. I got Sidney Crosby. He looks kind of dopey looking. It's supposed to look like a cartoon drawing. And you know what? I'm grateful that Upper Deck is doing this sort of thing. They need to do more of this thing. You look at how people, we were just talking about Panini, you look at how people lose their shit over kabooms and downtowns. Hockey needs that. Hockey needs more of that. We don't have enough fun stuff. How many times can we get, oh, what's the difference between the base card and the insert card? Well, this insert card has the player, but he's in front of a different background. He's in front of a roller coaster, and we're calling it thrill rides. He's in front of some geometric pattern, and we're calling it center of attention, right? Like, an insert card is just the same player in front of a different background. This 2013 metal retro insert is actually a drawing of Sidney Crosby with, like, flames behind him, and it's pretty freaking cool, even though I'm dissing on the likeness a little bit. Well, with the PMGs, they tried to mix it up this year because in the past, like last year, they only did the rookies in there. So they made three different ones this year. So you have the regular ones, you have the 98 retro ones, and then you have the 2013 retro ones. Right. And then to further mix it up with the 13s, like you showed, they have those comic-y type drawings to them. Those were actually originally, what I heard was they were originally intended to be an Easter egg but they just decided that they looked great and decided to throw them into the product itself. So they are a much shorter print run. You know, obviously nothing's been posted about that, but I don't know if they're actually a case hit or not, but there's something, something similar to what, what a case hit would be. Those are original artist renderings too. They went out and got somebody hired to do those. That wasn't just like a, hey, this picture was already drawn. Let's pretend like it's another player and airbrush something onto them. Those are actually original drawings that were done up for those. Right. I'm looking at the stats now on the side of the blaster box. I actually, I don't think you can get these in blasters because I'm not seeing it here listed on the odds in this really teeny tiny text. So certain insert cards will only be in hobby. They'll be hobby exclusives. I think these are actually hobby exclusives. And you know what? That's fine. But again, like the Crosby that I pulled, I mean, okay, you know what? It's selling for like around a hundred bucks right now on eBay. That's great. You know what? Cool. I pulled a card that somebody wants to pay a hundred dollars for. And you know what? If I was a Sidney Crosby fan, would I rather just buy this card outright for a hundred bucks or buy a hobby box for 120 and maybe get this card? You know, the bird in the hand thing, no pun intended because he's a penguin, but the bird in the hand is worth maybe one in the hobby box. Probably not, right? Because this I think is, that's exactly how the saying goes. A bird in the hand is worth two in a hobby box. Yes. The retros are pretty tough pulls. I think they're one in every 240 packs. We're talking about the 2013 retros with like the comic book style. So, I mean, yeah. if you think about that, and there's 20. I think there's something like a case hit. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. So one in every. Okay. So one, one per case, right? So it's a case hit, right? Sometimes you're better off just buying the case hit than buying the case and hoping to get a case hit of a player that you like. Because a lot of them are only selling for like 40, 50 bucks, right? Like Sergei Bobrovsky's 2013 metal retro card is selling for like 40, 50 bucks. I mean, a lot of them are, are pretty attainable prices, but just there's 64 different insert sets. I'm not going to read off every single one, but just keep in mind that most of these have 
autographed versions and have gold versions, and some of them have PMG versions in different colors. But you got the 98-99 retros. Those are pretty easy pulls. The 2013 retro, which has the comic art style, those are the, the case hits. All starring, which kind of looks like a movie poster, but not really. It's like a headshot of the player in like black and white. Yeah, but you know where that one came from, right? You know the designer of these is Billy Celio, and we've talked to him numerous times. He's a huge Hollywood like movie guy. Yes. So that had to be straight up his yes. design. Yes. Aspects, bottle rockets, cachet, flash of the glove, hardware, hot numbers, hot shots jambalaya which everybody likes for some reason i think they're ugly but uh jambalaya one in every four thousand packs oh my god it's like it's an ugly card jarring linchpins metal ore metal x palladium premium prospects and tetrad and then as far as parallels you got blue spectrum fx which are exclusive to blasters and you get two of those per blaster precious metal gems gold pmg green pmg red printing plates and in purple spectrum effects, which are numbered out of 199. And those you can get in hobby or in blasters. So, like I said, the hobby box is really the only draw to that is you can get an autograph, you can get a PMG green, red, gold, or this 2013 retro. Other than that, I think if you're going to build the set, do what you like, you know, do what you like. If you want to save a couple bucks, go with the blaster boxes because that's what I've done the past two years and I haven't regretted it. But did you um, any of the jarring cards? I did not. You know what I did pull was in my hobby box. I got three retro 9899s. I got a purple spectrum FX. I got two bottle rockets, three premium prospects, two flash of the gloves, one aspects, one the house, one all starring, and then the 2013 retro. Why do you ask about that, the jarring? I found those interesting. I saw a picture of those. They remind me of Score Check It. Oh, nice. But with, I like the, back, with the background washed out. So okay. think of Score Check It and then get rid of the background and just show the player smashing somebody. Yeah. That's Check what it, was... it reminds me of. I, I still don't think I finished my 97-98 Score Check It insert set. I'll have to check that out. Uh, no pun intended. I'll have to check it. Yeah. yeah, okay, that yeah. that was an unintended pun. The penguin thing, the penguin in the hand versus two in the hobby box, that was an intended pun. The check it out was an unintended pun. I saw they redesigned the palladium ones. They've you been know, looking the same, but they're different this year. Oh yeah. They like have like spectrum foil and they're clear cut and they're die cut. So they wow. every gimmick you could throw on it, they did. Wow, just needs an autograph and a serial number, and it's set, right? But some, you know, something that I like about it, and of course, I didn't, I haven't picked any of these up or anything yet, but just kind of looking at them and seeing, seeing how they're designed and and how they've put together all of these. There's not a lot of like die cut cards necessarily. There's a few, but just the the sheer number of just shiny, foily, clear, see-through, over-the-top, embossed, you know, everything imaginable they slapped onto these things. So it's like, it's so much. So if you want a product that's a complete and utter throwback to the 90s, this is it. This is where you're going to get it from. And 
you know, back to the PMGs for a second, those 13 ones, I've heard a lot of people say how much they don't like them. And you brought up the fact that they're the rendering on the faces and stuff is a little weird. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like these. No one on eBay doesn't like them because they're selling for a lot. Yes. Like you said, when, even when Bobrovsky sells for 40 bucks, how many other Bobrovsky cards can you find that aren't an autograph or something with game used in itself for 40 bucks? Exactly. I'm going to go with none. So, yeah. So, so there's a demand for these. And it may not be your cup of tea, but I'm not big on the PMGs anyway because I'm not into like chasing after all that kind of stuff. If I find something that's penguins related, I'll pick it up. So that's not really my bag. I thought they were they were interesting. They're a little different. And yeah, throwing that in there, I could definitely have saw those as an Easter egg. But honestly, I don't think this product has any Easter eggs. If you go through that list of everything that's available on the checklist and everything that's shown on the odd sheets, I think it's all there. It all matches. So I haven't really seen anything that's that is an Easter egg that's come popped up or anything. I will say this, that product hit, what was it? 10 minutes <laughs> into that day. The one of one Caulfield PMG was posted oh. online. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was quick. I haven't seen the veneers one yet, but the Caulfield one hit online like instantaneously. But there is, I mean, there's a lot of value here. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, especially you mentioned those greens, you can pull the green PMGs from the hobby boxes. I saw the veneers green out of 10. I think one sold for like 500 bucks a couple of days ago with quite a few bids. And the highest comic-y one I saw was a Vetchkin. Those are numbered, right? They're numbered out of 100? The PMG versions are, yes. Yeah. The Ovechkin Red, which was numbered out of 100, sold for like 400, about 470, not too long ago. I think it was right after release time. So, yeah. So, I mean, some of these some of these inserts are highly sought after, and there's people out there that are gonna that are gonna go for them for sure. I don't know. I think there's something for everybody in here. This may not be the product for you. You may not want to chase after the the base set, but I think some of these inserts are are going to be the biggest draw. I mean, that's really what's going on here. Well, there's a huge draw on some of these inserts. I looked up like some of the inserts and right now they're not. okay. so the PMG inserts. Yes, because people lose their stuff over PMGs, really the reds, the greens, anything that's numbered like out of 100, anything that's numbered a little higher, maybe some of the purple ones, although those are technically not PMGs. Those are Spectrum FXs. But one card that I pulled in my hobby box and I also got two in my blaster boxes is called The House. And I was just like, yes. That's a weird name for an insert until I saw the, until I actually looked at it. And so they're referring to that area from the net out to the face-off dots and how that makes kind of like a triangle. So I'm aware of that triangle. Usually, I don't know, like usually like when I watch like the NHL Network or Hockey Night in Canada and they draw the diagram and they talk about the high quality chances are from this area. I've never heard of anybody refer to it as the house before. I just know... I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I know that's like where you're going to get most of your scoring chances, but I've never heard that term before. So I feel a little smarter now knowing this. See, some people feel dumb for never knowing that. I feel smarter for now knowing that. You were aware it was a stat that was kept. You just didn't know that it was called the house. I just knew that it was like just the, the high 
the high danger area or whatever. That's kind of in advanced statistics. You'll see player stats put up all the time of how well they perform within the house and their statistics that pop up in that area. So those cards are, so if you hold it vertically, go sideways so the house runs up the side, that's kind of how the card is supposed to be displayed. So it's got that player headshot in that thing. It's an odd design. I like what they were going for. It's an odd design to me. Just having that player's head in that like home plate shape yes. that's outside of there, it's definitely interesting. And different. Did it, need, did it need to be a clear cut? I mean, I get that. I get that they're trying to do like the rounded corners of a hockey rink. So, okay, I understand why it's die cut, but I guess what I don't like is I don't like inconsistencies in like the card types. Like, remember we were talking about about synergy. And how Synergy has, like, the clear cards, and they're, like, double-layered, and then there's a lot of, like, clear cards that are single-layered, but then they'll just randomly throw in a card that's nothing, that's just, it's an insert, but it's not necessarily a clear cut or a die cut. It might be foil, it might not be foil. I guess I don't want to mix my beef and chicken, if that makes sense. Like, sometimes you want to do that in a burrito, and sometimes you don't. I'm going to like mention here, like the premium prospects, I think are just such a waste of cardboard. I mean, you look at a premium prospect card, this could be anything. This could be an insert in a, in a MVP set. This could be an MVP design. It's not a bad design. It's just, it's not a metal card. There's no metal in it other than the foil, which is pretty standard on pretty much all upper deck cards. There's going to be silver foil or gold foil or something. So why is a card like this in a product like metal? It doesn't have any purpose. Like, I like the all-starring, and I like the fact that they use, like, this shiny rainbow foil for, like, the metal logo and, like, the player name. But I kind of want this to be a metal card, or I would want this design to be maybe, like, in the next round of portraits in, like, Upper Deck Series 1 or something. So, like, I guess the thing is, is, like, I want all the metal cards in a pack of Metal Universe to be metal and not not non-metal. I mean, an exception is Aspects, because Aspects is kind of like one of those 50-50 cards where a lot of it isn't metallic, but what they did was they did a silhouette of the player, so you still see his head and his hands, but then inside of the player, they put, like, the skyline from that city. At least that's what I'm assuming it is. I've never been to Anaheim, but this is Trevor Zegris, so I'm assuming that they put Anaheim in there and not like, oh, I don't know Raleigh, North Carolina, right? Uh, here I got another one of Kale McCarr from the Avalanche, and superimposed inside of him is, I guess, the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And it kind of looks like a third jersey he's wearing, even though it's not. Is this for everybody? No, but at least it's freaking different, and at least it gives us metal, which is the name of the set of cards is metal. So I like aspects. I could do without premium prospects. All starring are cool, but I kind of want them to be metal. There's something called flash of the glove, and all of the ones that I've gotten shows a goalie not flashing the glove, but like making like a breadbasket save or a blocker save or just standing and looking ready. Whereas it should be like a set of like badass goalie glove saves, right? We got bottle rockets, which I guess is okay. I mean, it shows the player shooting the puck, but then a giant puck flying in like the opposite direction and then like metal background stuff. And then the other one I'll just harp on real quick 
is the 98-99 retro design. Well, there was really no 98-99 Fleer Metal Universe. I think there might have been a basketball set. I can't remember. Or Fleer stopped making cards back then. I don't really know because they stopped making hockey cards back then. But my problem with these is that the background is like a bronze color. They go, okay, cool. They don't use bronze enough in cards. And the reason is, is because a lot of the players don't pop off of it because they're wearing their dark uniforms. I like the dark uniforms. I like the dark uniforms against white backgrounds, like on SP Authentic. Here, I'd like to see the players in white uniforms against dark backgrounds, if you're going to go with a bronze background. But that's just me. I don't know. And it also doesn't feel very universy. Does it feel metal? Yeah, it's got rivets on it and stuff, and it's got like silver foil and bronze foil board, but it doesn't feel universy. There was, yeah, there wasn't a hockey one. There was, I think there was baseball and basketball. Okay. In those. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I just think this is their one chance. This is Upper Deck's one opportunity to like throw as many of their innovative card design techniques and everything all into one product and mm-hmm. just have it all, have it all blended together mm-hmm. in like a cornucopia of card design. Copyright that. You better trademark that people are going to be using that for weeks cornucopia of card design yes yes we need to put that on a shirt yeah i mean the shiny the embossed there a lot of the cards are embossed like if you feel them you'll feel that they're embossed those ones you keep bringing up the all-starring with the movie poster they kind of remind me of when you don't have the parallel ones when you just have the base ones they remind me of platinum portraits without all the little holes in it Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what the shot would have been of Platinum Portraits before they put the holes in it. Yes. But they they didn't put Platinum Portraits in this year. You'll notice it's not on the checklist. True. But they replaced it with Hot Numbers, which wasn't on the checklist the last couple years. They brought those back. Despite my criticisms of some of the insert sets, because I'm not going to like everything, and that's okay. Everybody likes something. I like this product. I'm going to continue buying it. I'm going to definitely build the base set in a short printed set. And I think I might just chill there. Normally I try to track down the retro parallels, but these retro parallels don't do anything for me. Like the last two years, I liked the retro parallel. I say parallel set. It's actually a retro insert set. The retro insert sets from 2021 and 2122. I've actually liked those more than the base card design, the retro design, I said, that's what I want the base card to be because there's more planets and nebulas and outer spacey stuff that makes it feel like a Fleer Metal Universe set from the 90s. We're never going to get exploding atoms and giant plants and cybernetic Borg attachments on the player's equipment like we did in the 90s because, you know, the PA is going to look at that and be like, no, you can't put a Borg eye on Sidney Crosby's face. You can't, you could just, you could just do this ridiculous cartoon drawing of him instead. I'm just kidding. It's not ridiculous, but you know what I mean? Like they're not going to say, oh yeah, that's cool. Let's put the player, you know, being attacked by a giant plant. Although I like the one where he's bursting through a brick wall. I mean, that's, that's cool. But, uh, and then the other thing I just want to say really quick is that, 
I find this year's design of the cards a little dark, meaning that like you kind of got like the cool purpley background of the space and stars and stuff. But then you kind of got this kind of weird metal. I, I don't know what quite to make of it because it's like metal with like holes in it. But the holes are like different sizes. So it's not like it's like, oh, well, those are rivet holes or those are whatever. Like sometimes they'll put like a plate that looks like it's got rivets and stuff. But they didn't do that here. I'm not quite sure what it's supposed to be. It almost looks like Swiss cheese. It looks like if Swiss cheese were made of metal and that got thrown over the purpley sky background and then the players like kind of coming out of the Swiss cheese a little bit. If when I first makes- saw it. Yeah. It reminded me of 96, 97 Pinnacle Summit. Yeah! Only uh, that, so that had a black, black background, or the, black borders. Depending on the parallel that you got, the thing that stood out with that was it was like netting all around it. Okay, yes, I know what you're talking about. So like you had the base card with the netting, and then there was like a, a prism version, and then there was like a, another foil version, and but they all had different degrees of the netting covering parts of the cards in the corners and stuff just like that has it but with the metal yeah that's what it reminds me of it does look like that the backs of the cards are pretty standard there's three years of stats a little biographical blurb and you know their vitals height and weight and stuff like that i do have one complaint though about the makeup of the set itself so cards 101 to 150 are the 50 best players in the NHL. My problem with that is basically the base set one through 100 are like the second best players. Like if you remember 2021, which was based on the 2019, 2020 season, you had a hundred base veteran cards. You had 50 rookie cards and you had like 50 all-star cards or thereabouts, because there's less than 50 all-star players. And I remember we we did a show about that. And we talked about that. But the point was, was that, okay, there were cards of the players from the all-star game. Then 21-22, which was based on the previous season, 2021, well, there was no all-star game. So then they did 100 base cards. They did 50 rookie cards or thereabouts. And then they did like around 50 alternate jersey cards because there was no all-star game so it's like all right well here's crosby in the penguins third uniform or reverse retro jersey or whatever and that kind of made sense because it gave you another card of a popular player to chase after which is great if you're a player collector this year what they did is they said "Uh uh-uh we're making all the best player short prints so if you have cards one through 100 you're basically having a set without crosby without mcdavid without ovechkin without Kane without whomever because they're all put in the stars short printed subset which is cards 101 through 150 so I feel like a base set is great if it can stand alone this base set cannot stand alone and I have a problem with that Uh, I can see your point how much more short printed is 101 through 150 though that's the thing though they're really not that short printed because like just doing a quick Back of the napkin math, if you get four base cards in a pack and you get two short prints in a pack, 
for every 200 base cards, you're going to end up with 100 short prints. So the ratio is not that far off, if that makes sense. If you bought 50 packs of metal, you would get 50 base rookies and 50 star player cards because you get one of each in every single pack. Still seems like a lot. What do you mean? Just seems like a lot to have to get, but maybe not. Nobody I, said this was a cheap hobby. Yes, yes. And that's where I'm kind of at in my hobby journey right now is I keep looking at the cost of the boxes and to build sets as a set builder and buying box upon box and packs upon pack to try to put this together. Logically speaking, you would have to have the perfect storm here. I think it's a tough though. We've talked about this strategy before and it applies here. Metal Universe is eventually going to end up on EPAC. Ding, ding. Right. And so you're going to get people ripping to try to get PMGs, to try to get a 2013 retros, to try to get autographs. And they're going to rip on EPAC. They're going to send their cards over to ComC. And then you're going to pick up a lot of these short prints for like 50 cents each, because that's what I did. I finally completed my 2021 set. And how did I do that? I went on EPAC and I bought the last six cards I needed. And I think I spent an average of 48 cents per card, right? So for three bucks, I finished my set. So, I mean, you could technically build this set pretty cheap. I mean, yeah, some of the rookies are probably going to be like five or $10 cards, like your veneers. And unfortunately, at one per pack, they're not going to have that same value as a young gun or as a SP authentic future watch or whatever. Well, I mean, for good reason too, because something like that's autographed. But I guess what I'm saying is that this is still a pretty easy set to build. I mean, I like to buy enough to kind of get close to building a set and then try to pick up the rest through trades or increasingly more of it's just become through EPAC because yeah. trading is sometimes expensive, as we all know. Shipping cards to Canada is not cheap. We need to get the hobby boxes to come down to about 100 bucks. Once we do that, then it'll be a little better. My trepidation about buying any hobby boxes is that because you don't get an autograph in a box, what's my motivation? Um, your motivation would be to support the hobby. I don't know. I have no idea. No, I get it. I mean, if that's really all it is, if it's not one per box, if it's like one per box and a half or one per two boxes, then yeah, it's just a crapshoot. If you're chasing some of those more rare inserts, though, they're not available in the retail ones, though, I don't think. No. Like 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 the, the 2013 retro. Yeah, those retros aren't in there. I don't think Palladium's in the retail. I think that's only hobby. And I get it. You have to give people some incentive to buy hobby. I mean, we started seeing this in the early 1990s. Actually, I think it was about 30 years ago we saw this where we started seeing differentiation between the hobby and the retail versions because the hobby shops were like, well, hey, if somebody could buy this pack of cards for 99 cents at Walmart, why are they going to pay me $1.29? Because, you know, I have to charge a little more because I'm not Walmart. And it's like, okay, we'll put different inserts in the hobby packs. So that kind of grew from that. But me, I just don't care. Again, if I really want the card, I'll just buy the card. Right. That's exactly it. If you want the card, buy the card. Because the odds of you pulling it anyway, even if you stick to hobby boxes, how many times are you going to pull a jambalaya? How many times are you going to pull a metallics? You know? Right. 
So I just looked it up. There's four of those 2013 retro PMGs in a case. Four. That's it. So any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? Because this has been a good, long, but wonderful conversation about hockey and hockey collecting. I have nothing else to say. All right. Well, I guess we'll just end it here then. So thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell people that you know. Please consider, I say please because I'm polite, please consider subscribing to the Puck Junk newsletter at puckjunk.com slash newsletter. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.